I'd invite you to stand, and we're going to read from God's Word from the book of Luke, chapter 16. It's in your bulletin on page 5. Here's God's Word. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This week, we're pleased to have Mike Park with us, uh, one of the pastors from downtown. Um, we've been uh, privileged to have him with us before. So we'll invite Mike up and ask him to pray for the Lord's presence in our time of preaching. So thank you, brother. Show him some love. Good morning. 9 a.m. thing ain't working out so well for me. Yeah, downtown, we, we meet at 5 p.m., just about the right time for night owls like myself. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. And uh, for some reason, I feel at home whenever I come to Mosaic, more than downtown. I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But um, it just feels at home, and it's always good to be with you. And uh, as someone asked this morning, are you pinch hitting? Yes, I am. Russ is busy, and so uh, I'm here. And my role is to make Russ look good, okay? So as you hear the word this morning, you would be grateful that you have Russ bringing the word. And now the, the dear doctor himself, too, Erwin is here with you. So this parable that we just read is not very popular for a good reason. It's interesting, to say the least, right? And perhaps a bit confusing because it sounds like Jesus is commending dishonesty, but we know that that is not the case. So what is Jesus trying to say? What does he want us to learn from this story? Well, let's get to the text. But before we do, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and we bow our heads and hearts before you. And we ask that you would instruct us with your word, your living word, which is sharper than any double-edged sword and pierce our hearts and remove the sin that pushes against what is good, what is true, and what is right. And Lord, expose the very source of the thing that is so deeply embedded in our hearts that we might bring ourselves before you in repentance. You might do this work 
And Lord, we bow our hearts before you asking that you would teach us to love you more than we love these other things. So that we, as recipients of your word this morning, would not only learn, but we would love your word. And in loving your word, we would love you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Some of you might find this grossly negligent or just plain gross, but at the Park family, we feed our kids spam. Yes, spam, the official meat of Hawaii. Now, judge not, because we all have our spam, okay? Now, that's another sermon altogether. But on the nights, we break open a can of Spam, you see economics in action. Scarcity drives up demand through the roof. And sometimes, even before the meal prayer is over, half the Spam has already been claimed. And as Spam disappears at a dizzying pace, you see the wheels turning in my older daughter's heads, and they begin their cost-benefit analysis. And I kid you not, cash has been offered. Cash has been offered for a slice of spam. But it's hard to negotiate with younger, hungrier brothers who know nothing about money. Usually, negotiations quickly break down with a big fight and everyone explaining why they should have rightful claim to that last piece of spam. Whoever said children are a blessing from the Lord didn't serve spam for dinner, I tell you that. And it's not just with spam. I mean, when we have fried chicken, it's straight up Lord of the Flies. I mean, (laughs) you see the worst in human nature come out quickly. And I have to uh, remind our kids that there are millions of cans of Spam in the world, but only four of them. And that siblings are therefore more important, more valuable than Spam. Of course, my words fall in deaf ears as they continue to fight over Spam. But what happens during these Spam dinner nights describes all of us. What do I mean? We all lose perspective. As Chris said at the beginning of the service, we forget, and we forget often. Just like that, our value system gets hijacked, and all of a sudden, the things that are not so important take precedence, and we're willing to sacrifice more important things like family for a slice of spam. And in today's text, Jesus restores gospel sanity, if you will, by reminding us what is truly important and to realign not only our hearts, but even the very trajectory of our lives in a way that will reflect this value system. So let's look at two things this morning. First, let's look at stewardship. Jesus gives us a lesson on kingdom economics And it begins with understanding that we are stewards, not owners. Jesus draws up an interesting scenario, perhaps a recent story making headlines in Israel that involves a rich man and his manager, something equivalent to our modern-day fund manager or wealth manager. 
And this manager is not only accused, but fired for wasting his boss's wealth. And here, by setting up this story, Jesus wants us to remember that God is the owner and we the managers. You see, he is the creator, the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful. And he generously gives all of these things for our life and for godliness. And Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And this really is the very heart of the gospel, that God would give so much abundantly to his people. But when we receive these good gifts, we forget. And rather than seeing these things as opportunities to reflect the very heart of our God, the owner, the master of these things, we think, yes, they belong to me. They're mine. And all of a sudden, in the very recesses of our hearts, things churn. And we begin to plan and view things as if they belong to us. And we often forget this uh, owner-manager distinction. We think... We are the product of our own wisdom, power, and will, but we are not. Have you seen this video that was floating around, an eight-minute video called Life of Privilege Explained? It's basically, I I think it's like a youth pastor or campus pastor uh, doing a simple exercise to explain uh, what privilege is. He lines up all his students basically at the start line, and uh, it's, it's a simple foot race to win $100. But before the race starts, the pastor makes, a, makes several statements that if applied to you, you got to take two steps forward. He would say among a list of things, take two steps forward if your parents are still married. So those who still have both parents would take two steps forward. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in your home. Others will take two steps forward. Take two steps forward if you never wonder where your next meal would come from. So on and so forth. And before the race even starts, some kids are halfway to the finish line. And the pastor says, you guys in the front, turn around and look behind you. Every statement I had made had nothing to do with anything you have done, decisions you made, or the effort you put in. You have a better opportunity to win this race. You've been given a head start in this race called life. And this simple exercise captures well the fact that we are not the product of our own power wisdom, and will. There are forces beyond us that sort of prompt us to be where we are, and none of us can say or claim that I made myself. And as we take a look at our lives, we realize that that is true. Some of us, we say, well, I started really hard. Well, who gave you wisdom? I worked really hard at my job to be where I am. 
But imagine if you were born in a different country with a different system. Imagine if you were born into a caste system in India. Your hard work means absolutely nothing. You wouldn't get anywhere. All this to say, it is good for us to acknowledge that he is the giver. And we are stewards. In other words, money is not our money. Our time is not our time. Our talents are not ours. And the opportunities that God has put before us are gifts. And let me say this, stewardship is a, it's a great gig. It's not just a good gig, it's a great gig. I remember having conversations with my church members back in St. Louis about tithing. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament tithing, it's basically a practice of giving God 10% of our income. But it's a great gig. You know why? Because you get to keep 90% of it. Like, imagine if a wealthy person approached you and said, hey, I want you to take care of my wealth. And all you have to do is give me 10%. You can keep 90 for yourself. How many of you at that point would say, nah, no thanks? I'd be like, where do I sign up? It's a great gig. And it says you can keep 90% for yourself, but you can't just do whatever you want. I want you to use it wisely for the good of others. What does it mean to use this money wisely? I think it certainly means that we provide for our needs, and we enjoy the gifts that God has given to us. There's nothing wrong with that. But it also means we practice radical hospitality. That has to be on your calendar, if you will. And your bank statement, your credit card statement has to reflect radical generosity. Why? Because that money is not yours. It's his. And he has not only blessed you with it, but he has encouraged you to bless others with that. Tim Keller, pastor and author, is very helpful here. He says, if you are not radically generous with his money, you're not being stingy. You're being a thief. And that hurt. That hurt. He asks you, how many of you have asked God, what do you want me to do with your money? Have you really opened yourself up in this way? To surrender not only your heart, but even your wallet, your bank statement, to say, God, what do you want me to do? This past summer, I did a little experiment. Like many of you, I heard growing up in the church that you cannot outgive God. So I decided to see if I could give, outgive God. God gave me an opportunity to support a friend. And after praying about it and, and talking with my wife about it, because you have to talk to your wife about money. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in the doghouse for a very long time. We decided to support this brother uh, quite a lot, which meant our summer schedule and plans would look very different. And I remember uh, my first meeting with him as I was handing him the check. I was so thankful, so grateful that I could serve him in this way to be practically the hands and feet of Christ. I was, second meeting, not so much. (laughs) 
I try to come up with all the reasons why this was a dumb idea. Was that really God's voice? Right? You've done this before. Was that really God's voice? We're in the Bible, right? Does God require this? I try to get out of it as fast as I could. But I tell you, I couldn't shake it off. Every time I prayed about it, God just deepened that conviction in my heart. And so for the rest of the summer, as I kept meeting with this brother, I brought that check. And sometimes it was really, really difficult going into that meeting. Long story short, I could not outgive God. I can't go into all the details, but I think he did more than 10 times what I gave. And this is not to say if you have faith and give, now God will then respond with health, wealth, and prosperity. So give and give with faith. No, I'm not saying that. I think God sometimes calls us and puts a burden on our hearts to do something. And when we act out of obedience, I think God does bless not always financially, but in other ways, God blesses. And that gave me courage to now go into a new school year as we're balancing our sheet, if you will, to make more room to say, God, we want to be radical givers. What does this mean? Even if we have to forego that vacation, not that we're not going to go anywhere, but even if we can't go as far and as better as we'd like, we want to give, we want to serve recognizing that this money is not ours, but you have given it to us, and we're grateful for that, but you also call us to store it well. And there are a ton of ways that we can use the resources you have given us, not only money, but with time, gifts, and opportunities to serve others in practical and tangible ways. So, Lord, would you guide us? I think when you pray like that, you're going to hear from the Lord very quick. God really is the owner. We the stewards. And I think we have to ask a difficult question. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to spend my money? But before we answer that question, because we're going to, because Jesus then addresses it, let's first talk about why serving money is a bad idea. Jesus says later in verse 13, that there are two masters, God and money. The temptation to serve money really lies in the promise of deeper heart-level satisfaction money offers. Happiness, peace of mind, opportunities for richer life experience, a secure future, and on and on. But here's the thing. God has already promised these things to us. And he has given everything we could want or ask in Christ already. So let's not live as if God did not promise us everything. Let's not go digging for ourselves cisterns that cannot hold water. But learn to drink deeply from the well of his grace for us. And live out of the promise that he will give us daily bread. That he will give us everything we need so that we can continue to seek first his kingdom and 
his righteousness. You see, serving money is a bad idea. As Francis Bacon once said, money makes a great servant, but a bad master. And when you bow before money, we become greedy because we can never have enough. Never have enough. We begin to envy others because grass is always greener over there than over here. We become ungrateful because we become blind to the things that God has already given to us. And we need a national holiday once a year to start counting those blessings. Just to remind ourselves, wow, I have been blessed. Bowing before money never results in godliness. Never bears a fruit of the spirit in any way. But it brings out the worst in us. Because money cannot do what God can do. It cannot quiet a fearful heart. See, God offers a better deal. One that meets all that our hearts long for. And logically, it only makes sense for us to bow before him, the great master who generously gives us all things. Yet he calls us to steward his gifts. So how should we steward these gifts, specifically our money? So now go to our second and final point. Stewardship. God calls, to, calls us to stewardship. The manager didn't just lose his job. He lost his career. Can you imagine his next job interview? Right? Everything on the resume looks great, but... Sounds a bit familiar. How do I know you? Oh, wait. You are that guy, right? Talk about shame and losing honor in the ancient Near East. He knows the alternatives aren't feasible nor desirable. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. So the manager goes to his master's debtors and he begins to slash their debt in half sometimes, right? And when the owner caught wind of the news, he commends the manager for his shrewdness. I almost imagine this slow clap, you know? Well done, well played, right? And the point is this, the manager seized a small window of opportunity to take what is not his to secure a better future for himself. That's basically what he did. And this is exactly the point Jesus wants us, his disciples, to get and practice. Seize the opportunity because your life is but a breath and tomorrow is not guaranteed. So take the opportunity today and invest the lesser things that are not yours i.e. money and other things, for greater things that will last. Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries uh, to Ecuador uh, back a few generations ago, an author, uh, he, he once said this. This is one of my life quotes. I, I love it. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To take these gifts, these temporary gifts that aren't ours to begin with, and to invest them for eternity. That's what it means to be wise. 
And some of you tracking along might be asking, what could be greater than money? Money opens opportunities. It opens doors. It provides network. It provides deeper heart level stuff even. You've read the articles, right? Money can't buy happiness? Question mark. And people argue you can. So what can be greater than money? Well, verse 9, which we didn't get to, answers that question. Here Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. You see, Jesus reminds us of what we already know, that friendship, intimacy, time spent around the meal together, these things, the love we share, are more valuable than money. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. He is the shrewd manager who gave everything in order to make friends. That's what Apostle Paul says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that he can claim us as his friends. This is the gospel framework and this is the very heartbeat of Christ and his mission. And he turns to us now here in Northwest D.C. He says, look, there's an opportunity to do good. Yes, in many ways, through relationships, specifically with your money. I know it's not very popular to talk about money from the pulpit, but Jesus talked about it a lot. And he says, take these things and invest it in something bigger, something bigger than your own selves. And he calls us to wise and faithful stewardship of the resources he has given to us. Let me ask you as we close, in light of what we talked about, how might your life be different as you begin to invest, as you begin to double down, even financially, for the kingdom work and the gospel advancement through this church in this city? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for all the ways that you have blessed us. Thank you for giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given all of yourself to us so that you can claim us as your friends. And Lord, you are asking us to do the very thing that you have done for us. Lord, we want to respond with faith to say, God, here we are. Take our hearts, take all of us, take everything we have, everything we are, and use it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.